You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed. When Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Evert, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 12. Before we begin today's episode, I just want to let our hearers know that we will be taking a break over Christmas, so we will not have an episode next week on Christmas or on New Year's, but we do plan to return on Wednesday, January the 8th with our 13th episode, and we wish all of our hearers a Merry Christmas. Today we will be discussing Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 27. At that time, as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have observed for my youth. And Jesus, looking upon him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. At that saying, his countenance fell, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. So, Father, this passage begins with the man addressing Jesus as good teacher. And Jesus responds with, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Why does Jesus conceal his true nature from this man as as God incarnate? Well, I I think that's the natural question that most people have uh, when reading this passage. But I do want to skip to your second question that you submitted. Uh, That will lead to the heart of the matter of this passage, and then we can come back to this one if that's okay with you. I think it'll make more sense then. Okay. So then let me ask that question. So after the man tells Jesus that he has kept all the commandments from his youth, Jesus tells him to sell all of his possessions and give to the poor. And this reminds me of of St. Nicholas, uh, who we recently celebrated on his feast day on December the 6th. And the church records that his parents were very wealthy, and and when they died, St. Nicholas sold all of his inheritance and gave it to the poor. That said, are we all called to do the same, uh, to impoverish ourselves, to gain our salvation? Uh, That's a great question as well, and naturally the second question uh, that people have uh, when reading this passage. And uh, it's interesting that you brought up St. Nicholas, certainly a wonderful example, Uh, but many people associate this reading with St. Anthony the Great, uh, who's widely considered the founder of monasticism. It's said that St. Anthony, upon hearing this scripture in church, immediately left, sold all of his goods and gave them to the poor, and then went to the desert to live a life of constant prayer for the world. Uh, But yes, as you mentioned, St. Nicholas is another example of someone literally selling their possessions, giving to the poor, and living a life completely dedicated to following Christ. 
So then is this passage meant to be taken literally by every Christian? No, not, not in the sense of meaning to sell all of your material possessions or to give away all of your money, and I'll explain uh, where I'm coming from. Uh, one of the principles that we've discussed a lot in past episodes is the importance of understanding historical and even linguistic contexts of scriptural passages. And those are, of course, of, of the utmost importance. Uh, but perhaps of equal importance is another concept, and that concept is understanding Scripture in light of other Scripture. Uh, simply put, what that means is that we can often understand certain passages in the Bible better if we know other passages in the Bible. And how does that apply in this situation? Well, I've come to the conclusion from years and years of study uh, that the Gospels are essentially the epistles in a narrative form. Uh, there is an interplay. Uh, the epistles tend to be more straightforward, so to speak. They are Paul, primarily, as well as a few others, writing to communities with instructions and scriptural arguments uh, from the Old Testament, uh, backing up the decisions that they made in terms of how the early Christian community should be structured and why it should be that way. Uh, the Gospels, then, are basically teaching the same things, but in a narrative format. So are you saying that this passage I read from Mark's Gospel relates to an epistle reading? And if, if that's the case, what makes you think that? Well, the astute reader will notice something about this interaction in Mark's Gospel between this man and Jesus. Uh, he's asking Jesus questions related to the law, and he's saying that he's kept all of those commandments. And yet Jesus tells him there is a problem that he needs to, quote, sell all that he has. And then he tells him to, quote, give to the poor. And then, again, in quotations, come, follow me. Uh, the man becomes sorrowful because he has, and again I quote, great possessions. Now, notice what is never explicitly said. There's no explicit mention of money. And I don't read this passage to be speaking specifically about money or material possessions, but about something much deeper, uh, something that I would argue is even harder to part with, uh, than our money, and perhaps it's the only thing more important to us than money, and it relates directly to the overarching theme of the gospel and Jesus' message. I see. So could you, could you please elaborate a little bit more on that for us? Of course. Uh, the one thing that is more meaningful to most of us than money is our pride, our sense of self-worth. Uh, even with those who might fall into the category of loving money, you know, we have to ask, why do they love it? And my argument would be that they love it because of the status it gives them, the sense of pride, the sense of self-worth and self-importance. And the fundamental message of Jesus' gospel is that we have to leave behind our pride. We have to leave behind our status for the sake of his gospel. We have to sell those things, so to speak, uh, so we can give to the poor. And the poor here in Mark's gospel uh, means the Gentiles, uh, the Jewish outcasts, those who were... Uh, out of communion, so to speak, with the Jewish uh, religious authorities. That's how I understand this passage, and to me it's, it's the only thing that makes sense, and again, uh, I connect this to one of Paul's epistles. And so where do you see that uh, connection? Which epistle are you referring to? Yeah, there, there's a powerful passage in Philippians 3, and in that passage Paul says essentially the same thing this man in Mark's gospel uh, said to Jesus. Uh, in sum, uh, Paul said that he had fulfilled the Mosaic law. Uh, specifically in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 6 through 4, he says, If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. 
circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. That's the end of the passage there. So what St. Paul is saying here in Philippians, again, is essentially the same as the man in Mark. Hey, I followed the Mosaic law from my youth, so surely that must mean, as the man in Mark said, that I would inherit eternal life, right? And just like Jesus answers, no, that's not enough in Mark's gospel, so Paul also says that's not enough in his epistle. In fact, what he says is this, and I warn our hearers, I'm going to say exactly what St. Paul said. Well, not exactly, I'm not in Greek, but I'm going to translate literally what St. Paul said, which includes a profane word almost never translated correctly into English. And this is from Philippians 3, 7 through 9. He says, But these things that were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count those things I have lost. And I'm getting out of the quotation here, but in other words, the righteousness which is in the law that he had talked about earlier. I count these things, he says, as shit, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Again, a powerful message from Paul, and the only time he uses literally this profane word to show just how much a Christian must despise his or her own righteousness. We must be opposed to our own self-righteousness, and my conviction is that Jesus is saying the exact same thing to this man in Mark. Uh, To me, it's the only thing that makes sense because even St. Anthony and St. Nicholas who literally sold all their material possessions, never said uh, that that was the key to eternal life. Uh, But every Christian must sell, so to speak, his or her own righteousness and accept that Christ alone is righteous and that our salvation, our entrance into eternal life, comes through putting our trust in him and his teachings of how we should live our lives. So, Father, if I, I just want to make sure that I understand this, and, and as well as our listeners, it seems to me what you're saying is that Jesus is telling this man in Mark to forget about the righteous life, that he's lived up to that point in following the Mosaic Law, that those accomplishments or those possessions, as it calls them in the passage, are not going to gain him entrance into eternal life. And so Jesus is telling him to sell those things, metaphorically speaking, and to accept Christ's righteousness and and put his faith in Christ. And also then that in doing this, the man would be able to share with the poor. And, and you mentioned the poor as those who did not have the righteousness of the law. For example, you mentioned the Gentiles. Is that basically a, an accurate summation of, of what you're saying? Yeah, I would say that's an excellent summation of what I'm saying. And as you can probably tell, uh, it's also an excellent summation of the gospel. Uh, honestly, I'm not sure that you could summarize the gospel much better than that. And that's why this interpretation uh, makes so much sense to me. Very good. So so very quickly, getting back to my, my first original question, why does Jesus, uh, then who we confess to be part of the Trinity, say that he should not be called good teacher, that only God is good? Well, I think when you understand this interaction between uh, this man and Jesus in Mark's gospel, as I explained it, uh, then it's crystal clear why Jesus says this. It's because he's setting the example. 
Uh, we all must give up the notion that we are, quote, good. Uh, we cannot rely on ourselves for eternal life. We cannot fully trust ourselves. The only one worthy of trust is God. The only one good and righteous is God. And as I said, uh, this is even harder for us to do than to give up money. Uh, giving up our self-righteousness, our pride, our ego, our sense of self-importance, uh, this is so much more difficult to do uh, than to give up our money. Uh, take the great monastics like St. Anthony I mentioned who literally gave up all his money. They all say the same thing. They still struggle against pride to their very last breath. It's the last of our bad habits and tendencies to go if it has ever you know, truly completely left aside by us on this earth. And uh, look at us as Christians. Uh, look, at, look how hard it is for us to give up our sense of being righteous. Uh, all the time I hear people uh, talking about the evils of our society, you know, living in a post-Christian world and so forth. And, and this comes from a deep sense of self-righteousness, in my opinion, a sense of pride that we are somehow different uh, just because we're called Christians. And Christ is telling us uh, we must get rid of that if we want eternal life. We must share the gospel of God's love and reconciliation with those in our spiritually poor, our spiritually needy society. And so, uh, finally, Father, Jesus tells his disciples that it is nearly an impossible feat for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when asked, uh, then who can be saved, Jesus replied, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. What is Jesus referring to here? Is it God's grace? Again, you know, based on how I understand this passage, uh, the reference to a rich man uh, is not referring to money per se, but to possessing uh, the righteous requirements of the Mosaic law. And of course, in Jesus' time, uh, among many or most of the Jews, having material wealth was seen as a sign of having spiritual wealth. So the play there on being rich uh, makes even more sense in that context. But what perplexes the disciples so much is that they still don't understand Jesus' teaching at this time. Uh, so they're saying, wow, Jesus, uh, how, how could someone possibly be saved if they've done all the righteous requirements of the law? And even more so, if someone who has been righteous according to the law is not going to inherit eternal life, uh, how could anyone else who has not been righteous? I mean, that's, that's ultimately what they're getting at. And Jesus' response is to say, it's not possible with men, but it is possible with God. And it's possible with God because he alone has the power to grant eternal life to those who put their trust in him. And so someone who, from uh, the perspective of fulfilling the Mosaic law, is poor, like the Gentiles and like the Jewish outcasts, uh, can still be saved even though someone like this man cannot uh, if he refuses to give up his own uh, self-righteousness. They and all of us can be saved by putting aside our pride, our ego, our self-righteousness, and putting our trust alone in Christ. Thank you, Father. In today's episode, Father Aaron clarified our passage by explaining the central tenet of Jesus' teaching in the Gospels, that our own righteousness must be laid aside so that we might put our trust solely in God. Father Aaron then referenced a related passage from Philippians where St. Paul, in very strong terms, tells us that we are to despise our own righteousness. To put it another way, every Christian must sell their own righteousness and accept that Christ alone is righteous and that our salvation, our entrance into eternal life, comes through putting our trust in him and his teachings. Christ teaches us in simple and direct language here that no one is good but God alone.
Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia, 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 glory to thee, O God. O our God and our hope, glory to thee.